Welcome to this episode of the Security Clearance Careers Podcast, ClearCast, your source for security clearance, intelligence community, espionage, national security, and defense contracting updates in our exclusive interviews with intelligence community and government leaders. Welcome back. I am attorney Sean Bigley, and I'm here with my co-host, Lindy Kaiser of clearancejobs.com. We're talking this segment about social media monitoring for security clearance holders. And Lindy, I know this has come up most recently as part of the government's transition to the Trusted Workforce 2.0 framework, which is the emerging framework for security clearance policy going forward. To my knowledge, I don't think that's been made public yet, but I know that you've kind of heard rumblings about some of this stuff. What have you heard? Let's take a walk down memory lane in history, Sean, because you refreshed my memory earlier. We had Security Executive Agent Directive 5 released in May 2016. We have written about it at clearancejobs.com. And what that policy did was opening the door to say, hey, social media monitoring or review could be a part of the security clearance process. And if I screw any of this up, Sean, you can correct me later. But basically, the the government is allowed to do this, right? It outlined that this can be done. And then we kind of forgot about it because at Clearance Jobs, what we continued to hear from the government was, well, we can do it, but we haven't figured out how to yet, so we're not. Well, I have today problems and I have tomorrow problems and I have enough today problems. I don't worry about tomorrow problems. So I didn't really think about if the government was monitoring my Facebook or tweets or for those of you crazy enough to be on TikTok monitoring that. But what I have heard is that now that Trusted Workforce 2.0 is rolling out and they are overhauling the security clearance process from its 1947 framework and updating the federal investigative standards, what you will start to see are background investigators looking at social media if they have a reason or trigger to do so. Again, I mean, they kind of like to be a little bit squirrely about what they actually check in the process. What we know is what's outlined in seed five. And then what we also know is that they are kind of theoretically allowed to do it. So as our attorney and resident, Sean, maybe kind of outline what are some of the things in seed five that you think could be a part of what background investigators might actually look at? I will definitely do that, but I will actually uh, do our listeners one better, and I will share some very specific things that were looked at in an actual case, a real case. And believe it or not, this is actually something that has been in effect As far as I know, only at one of the intelligence community agencies, that's the only place that I've seen it. It's been a number of years, actually. They were real hot to trot on this. And this particular agency really went out of the gates fast on this as soon as CAD5 was issued. And we saw our first and only case involving social media monitoring at this agency, I believe in late 2016, early 2017. And it was really a shocker for us because like you, we had kind of, you know, heard about this. We were obviously familiar with CAD5 being issued, but it was one of those things where they put the policy out there and then everybody just sort of looked around at each other and said, okay, well, maybe we'll get to it next year, you know, and and that's happened year after year after year ever since it's been issued, at least at, you know, the vast majority of agencies that we've dealt with. And that's not to say that we haven't seen other cases involving social media. We've seen cases where somebody's posts on social media have gotten them into trouble. We've seen cases where people have been communicating privately on social media inappropriate content, and that somehow found its way to the wrong person and resulted in them getting in trouble. None of that has come from social media monitoring. That's all been sort of organic. Somebody put something on the internet, somebody got mad, somebody printed it or forwarded it to security officials. That's how it's come about. There's one time, one case where we've seen it actually part of the adjudicative process, security officials 
on their own motion issued a denial of a clearance on the basis of social media monitoring. I want to talk about first the specific things that were in that case that showed us what was being actually looked at. So number one, social networks, the obvious. I think when we hear social media, that's what we all think of. Facebook, LinkedIn, believe it or not, it even included MySpace. Again, this was like late 2016, early 2017. I didn't even know it was still around back then, but (laughs) apparently it was. Microblogging websites, including Twitter and StumbleUpon, blogging and forums websites, WordPress, Tumblr, LiveJournal being some examples, pictures and video sharing websites like YouTube, Flickr, and Flickster, music websites, Pandora, I Like, a handful of others. And I'll come back to this one in a minute because I think some people are going music websites. What in the world? Online commerce websites, eBay, Amazon, ePinions. Dating network websites, Match.com, eHarmony, Chemistry.com, geosocial network websites, including Urban Spoon and TripAdvisor, and news and media websites where people can comment. So that was the whole scope of what was included in this social media monitoring report that we got as part of this case. And I remember, I mean, I almost fell out of my chair when I got this because I looked at it and went, what on earth? I mean, music websites, where is the relevancy of much of this stuff to the security clearance process? And I remember even joking about it with the agency at the time saying, are you guys trying to say that if somebody listens to you know heavy metal that you know they're an anarchist? I mean, that's crazy. What is the possible relevancy here? And the idea, I think, behind this and I'm not justifying it. I'm just saying what you know was sort of communicated to us is that you know they are trying to get a comprehensive picture of who this person is and who you as a security clearance applicant are. And these days, because so much of us live our lives online and everybody's got their you know smartphone constantly in their hand, it's very illuminating sometimes to see what people are posting on websites where they think that you know the post is never going to be associated directly to them on a personal level it's kind of that you know mythical shield that people think exists between them and their computer screen and that you know results in people typing you know stream of thought and not thinking about you know the ramifications so very very illuminating to see this come up that is a great segue then into you know CAD5 and whether this is even authorized because when we got this, that was one of my first questions. Wait a minute. This sounds like a lot more than social media. Where's the authority for the agency to be scouring, you know, TripAdvisor and Urban Spoon and looking at <laughs> my reviews? I mean, that's that's ludicrous. So then we go, you know, back to CAD5, which is the policy, the governing policy. And very interesting, they define social media as websites, applications, and web-based tools that allow the creation and exchange of user-generated content. That's super broad. <laughs> so I would imagine, Lindy, that you hear the term social media, that's not you know, Urban Spoon and TripAdvisor and Pandora. Those are not the websites that you think about, right? Because to show though, I mean, that was like, I feel like, wasn't that 1990, Sean? Like all of those things that you listed. And that's why pointing to any policy around an actual platform, you feel bad for these government agencies who are trying to piecemeal it together, you know, and give their investigators actionable kind of boundary lines in terms of what is acceptable to look up and what isn't. I mean, again, and without seeing kind of the updated federal investigative standards that are used across DCSA, which would be 
applicable to most of the clearance population. I don't know how they're framing it, but I know for a security clearance holder, I mean, I used to do media training for the military and my money takeaway for all these general officers was like, Google yourself. I mean, just do it. Nobody, nobody wanted to be that vain, but know what's out there because, you know, you are a public figure and the public does care about you. And that was back in the day when we had, I mean, tons of issues with all these fake online dating profiles for general officers. So they were all shocked that they found themselves on match.com and didn't realize it for the most part. But I think knowing what's out there when you search is the key step. And like you said, because of the swath of how the policy can be carried, I feel like wherever your name is online in terms of social networking writ large, whatever we're defining that as, that would be potential fodder. Now we obviously have, I mean, again, we can go down so many different questions around deep fakes and other issues, but just knowing, hey, if an investigator finds something about you online, you could be in a sense having to defend whether or not it is legitimate, whether it was a post by you, and just be ready to do that by knowing what's out there when you do search your name. You know, that brings us to, I think the next thing that we need to touch on, which is you know, what can't the government do? And fortunately, there are some limits in the policy, including, you know, the government cannot require you or request you to provide passwords to social media accounts. They can't force you to log into a private account or to take any action that would disclose non-publicly available social media information. So the takeaway that I have from a legal perspective for that is, you know, make your stuff private. I mean, that's that's the first order of business. If you've got social media accounts like Facebook, like you know traditional social networking sites that you can make private, do that. It's not to say that everybody who makes their account private is trying to hide something. But you know, if you don't want the government prying on certain aspects of your private life, that I think is understandable for most of us. And the way to put a limit on some of that or, or put a lid on it is to just make your stuff private. Obviously, you know, if there are other things that are out there on more public facing websites that you can't remove or you can't delete that that's not you know going to really help with those but it's a start and you know agencies similarly cannot create fake friend accounts or try to follow or connect with a, a clearance holder or applicant or try to enlist the assistance of a third party to bypass these privacy controls so the takeaway from all of that is they're only looking at publicly accessible, publicly available information. This is not an invitation or an authorization for the government to read your emails, pry into private messaging apps or anything that would be non-public. For those sorts of things, they would need some evidence of criminal conduct or a counterintelligence concern, and then they would have to get a warrant That's not something that is traditionally done in the regular background investigation process. It occasionally happens when serious concerns arise, but for the vast, vast majority of clearance holders, if it's not publicly available or public facing, it's not going to be part of this review. Yeah, no, I think that's important to remember. And that is outlined in the seed that the government is not going to be asking for your username and passwords. That's clearly a red flag if they're asking to do that. What they are potentially looking at are things that are publicly available. And any person looking for a job, let alone a security clearance job, should have some idea of what is out there. And you've written some great articles with kind of tips about that around the what security clearance holders should and should not post. We have a lot of information like that over at clearancejobs.com. So if you're wondering, just from a career perspective, let alone a security clearance perspective about being safe in terms of what you post online, definitely check out those resources and content over at Clearance Jobs. This is Katie Keller, editor at clearancejobs.com. Thank you for listening to this episode of Cleared Cast. 
For more information on career and recruiting advice, visit news.clarencejobs.com.